questions haunt every life, writes Andy Crouch. The first, what are we meant to be? The second, why are we so far from what we're meant to be? Welcome to Restoring the Soul. I'm Michael John Cusick, and this is the podcast that helps you close the gap between what you're meant to be and what keeps you from being all that. Hey, everybody, it is Michael, and welcome to the program. A question for you. Have you ever been in a situation where your emotions are triggered or where you find yourself reacting and you're out of control, where it seems like your emotions control you more than you control them? Have you ever struggled with uh, guilt or anger or self-criticism to the point where it dominates your life or it negatively affects your relationship? Well, in today's program, our guest is someone who is going to, through their book, talk to you about how you can calm the chaos within, turn shame to joy, anger to advocacy, and your inner critic into your biggest champion. Now, that sounds like a tall order, but this is going to be a great conversation because at one point, my guest, Kim Miller, the co-author of Boundaries for Your Soul, how to turn your overwhelming thoughts and feelings into your greatest allies. In this conversation, uh, Kim basically begins to practice some of the uh, the protocols in her book, Boundaries for the Soul, and I voluntarily kind of stepped into a counseling session of sorts that you'll hear in this conversation. So the book is Boundaries for the Soul, which we are uh, discussing at length Again, the subtitle is How to Turn Your Overwhelming Thoughts and Feelings into Your Greatest Allies. And the co-authors are Dr. Allison Cook, who lives in Boston, Massachusetts, and Kim Miller, who lives in Southern California. And Kim is a licensed marriage and family therapist. She earned a master's degree in theology from Regent College in Vancouver, British Columbia, and also a master's in clinical psychology from Azusa Pacific University. As a licensed marriage and family therapist, Kim is passionate about helping people avoid burnout and live with a sustainable sense of purpose and harmony. She's passionate about helping people transform their challenging thoughts and feelings into allies and helping people resolve disagreements with others and beginning to successfully navigate emotional conflict. She also loves helping people increase their ability to serve others by cultivating a strong inner life. And to learn more about Kim and her book, Boundaries for the Soul, as well as speaking and training that she does, you can visit KimberlyJuneMiller.com. That's KimberlyJuneMiller.com. So I had a wonderful conversation with her. This is a, uh, a great book, which as a counselor helps me to have yet another approach about thinking about people's inner lives, and I can't recommend it enough. Boundaries for your soul, how to turn your overwhelming thoughts and feelings into your greatest allies. So let's jump in now to part one of my conversation with Kim Miller. Kimberly Miller, thank you so much for taking time today to talk with me. I'm delighted to be able to talk about your new book. Thank you so much, Michael. It's such an honor to be here. And that book is called Boundaries for Your Soul, How to Turn Your Overwhelming Thoughts and Feelings into Your Greatest Allies. It's a Thomas Nelson book, and I found out about this because uh, I think we have the same literary agent, Wes Yoder. <gasps> oh, yeah. 
Uh, Wes had sent me a copy of the book uh, as early it was as early as it was available before it came out. So I really dug into it because whenever he recommends a book, I know that it's worthwhile. Well, just his name brings a smile to my heart. He's a wonderful man. Yeah, he's that kind of a brother. I want to start out by reading a quote uh, that you and Allison, your co-author, put at the beginning of the book of part one. And Henry Nouwen is is, uh, a beloved writer and speaker and um, one of my favorite authors. And so you quote him from The Inner Voice of Love. And I thought this quote just sets the tone for the whole book. He writes... A part of you was left behind very early in your life, the part that never felt completely received. It is full of fears. Meanwhile, you grew up with many survival skills, but you want yourself to be one. So talk about how that quote, the idea of parts, and then the reality of oneness and the call to integration, how that influenced you guys sitting down and writing this book. Well, that's a wonderful quote from Henry. And someone recently told me that our book helped her understand Henry's writing even better. It gave her a deeper understanding of his work because he talks a lot about parts of himself that have been left behind. And it's all throughout his writing when you notice it. And um, our our book, too, is about having parts. We have a bit more of a... uh, organized conceptual framework for different parts of the soul. You know, we, we talk about having three different kinds of parts, managers, trying to avoid pain, firefighters, putting out the flames of painful emotions, and exiles that are carrying pain from the past, these three types of parts of the soul. And it's just a theory, but it's, it's one that takes Nowen's work, I think, a bit uh, further. Like it builds upon what he's talking about, these parts that have been left behind, and uh, organizes them into a system to give you another way of looking at your soul. But the goal really is wholeness and harmony, and it's the spirit-led self inside that can lead these parts into cooperation with one another under the, the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Like any good book, you started with kind of defining the problem. There's a section even, what's the problem? And, it, and I think the, the, the fun and really rich part of that was that any Christian would go, well, we all know the problem is sin, Right. But, but you're not light on the concept of sin, but you help readers to understand where that comes from and how it gets fueled. So can you define in the terms that you used what the problem is before we jump into the solution? Yes, well, the problem is not actually having different parts of our soul, because that's just the way God made us. Every major school of psychology has acknowledged that there's a mosaic nature of the human soul. Um, St. Ignatius talked about the interior movements of the soul. Uh, Teresa of Avila talked about the many rooms in your interior castle. So having parts of us is just a, the way that we are. It's not, it's not good or bad. Uh, maybe you could think of it like a flower with different petals. <laughs> and uh, it's God's design. But what is unhelpful is that the, the parts of us sometimes adopt unhelpful strategies. And this is what sin is. Really, you know, the word sin, hamartia, means missing the mark or being off course. And I think we tend to be more judgmental in our use of the word sin in our culture. And we judge people for sinning. But really, if you think of it, it's like a, a, somebody losing, losing their way on the road or, or not heading toward the destination directly. And so what we're wanting to do is help parts of our soul 
become more oriented toward God. So the problem would be that hearts can have unhelpful strategies to accomplish their naturally valuable roles that God gave them. I like how you talk about the hamartia uh, and losing your way because it's so much more compassionate and it lends itself um, to not going in that default setting of shame and, and punishment and that kind of thing. Exactly, Michael. I don't think anyone really grows or thrives in the context of shame or judgment. And yet that's so often how we're oriented toward ourselves and one another. And so this, this method that we're putting out there is, is really based on uh, curiosity about why we do the things that we do and uh, being compassionate with the parts of ourselves that are veering off course and really connecting with them like you would connect with a child and helping that part of you that's off course to accomplish its goal in a more effective manner. And so the book is Boundaries for the Soul. Will you take a minute and, uh, and I would, I, I guess the, uh, this would probably be the manager part of me would say, <laughs> for those of us that don't know what a boundary is, you know, but, but I started thinking about it when I was reading the book going, okay, well, I read uh, Cloud and Townsend's book, Boundaries, and I teach about boundaries, but really what is a boundary in this moment? So can you give a basic uh, description of that? Sure. Well. One way to think of a boundary is uh, saying no to something when you don't want to do it and learning when to say no, when to say yes. And then another concept of boundaries has to do with distance, like if somebody's too close or too far. And we mean it in both ways in this book. Um, and, but instead of talking about boundaries with other people, we're talking about having boundaries with your own thoughts and feelings, which Cloud and Townsend do go into in a chapter in their book. They talk about internal resistances to boundaries. And so this, you can think of this as the spinoff book on that chapter in their book. And the, the way that we mean it is that a part of you can be too close to you, and it can also be too far. So Allison in the book talks about her dreamer part that was too far away. She had sort of disowned it because she, she didn't think that it would be accepted. So she had to reconnect with the, the part of her that wanted to act. So that's an example of a part being too far that needs to be brought in closer. Or sometimes we exile our grief, or a part that has a memory from the past that we don't want to look at. I have a client right now uh, who lost her husband, and it's been two years, and she hasn't yet processed her grief uh, from that experience. And so, she, But she has PTSD from the experience of seeing her husband die. So her family said, you have, to, you have to get help with this. And so now what we're doing is we're drawing in closer. She keeps saying, I don't want to think about it. I, I suggested she journal. She said, I can't think about it. I don't want to remember it. And I said, well, if unless you draw it near, unless you welcome this part of you to be closer in toward your spirit-led self, it's, it's going to just continue to feel neglected. So we had to draw that part of her closer in. And then on the other hand, parts can be too close. They can overwhelm us. And uh, for example, a manager part can be in control such that there's, there's very little self there um, or, or very little of the spirit leading the way. And we're just driven and controlled by the part of us that's wanting to get things done. That's an example of a part being too close. Yeah, I thought it was really helpful as a therapist, but also as somebody who has spent a lot of time in therapist's office on couches, that <laughs> the, uh, the firefighter, the manager, and the exile are all almost like lenses of looking at how psychopathology or issues manifest themselves. 
Yes. And in fact, Dick Schwartz, who came up with this model of internal family systems therapy that our book is based on, he says that every diagnosis can be also described as a cluster of entrenched parts, I think, which I think is a really intriguing way of looking at things. You, know, you might agree or disagree, but it, it's a very uh, provoking topic to, to think about. Let's take uh, three common issues like anxiety, depression, and uh, shame. And what might those entrenched parts look like for each of that? Okay. on the spot. (laughs) No, no, this is a fun game. (laughs) This would would be like a fun party game. Um, Yeah. Okay, anxiety, depression, and shame. Yeah. Anxiety, I would say, is the, the feeling of probably most likely a manager part that is trying to avoid... The, the pain of an exile. So let's say a part of you doesn't want you to be embarrassed. So the, the manager part develops anxiety to motivate you to perform well. And um, so that, that manager part is in overdrive, so to speak, is too close to you and it needs you to connect with it and ask, and ask it to step back and relax so that your spirit led self can take the lead. And uh, let's see, depression, I would say is probably, uh, well, see, Man, so the, the firefighters and the managers are protectors of the exiles and they can act out in depression in order to uh, prevent you from feeling the pain of an exile. So that can be a strategy of a protector, but it could also be that an exile part has overwhelmed your system and is too close. And then shame, we, we go into shame a lot in the book and we've, I spent a lot of time, Allison and I spent a lot of time thinking about what shame is. And I, I think shame is a, is a burden that an exile is carrying. So if, mm-hmm. if a person is feeling a lot of shame, the goal is to work with the exiles, work with the protectors to ask them to relax and then to connect with the exile and have it unburden its shame somehow. Well, thank you. That's great. And you've already touched on uh, the five different ways of how we do a U-turn, which I want to make sure that we talk about. So as you're talking about the managers, exiles, and firefighters, and I know you uh, already alluded to this, but, but you're talking as if each of those parts has a kind of dynamic energy of its own. So can you respond to that? We're not talking about uh, three separate people, and we're certainly not talking about something um, that is to the level of dissociative identity disorder, although it can include that. Right. DID would be parts that are in, entrenched or stuck in extreme states such that they don't even know each other. So we, we all have internal parts of our personalities. We all talk to ourselves. This is just a matter of integrating those parts so that they, they work together. They're in harmony, like, in, like Lincoln's team of rivals, <laughs> and they're not uh, stuck in polarizations. So yeah, um, so DID would be if the parts are stuck in, in polarized states and don't know each other. So when somebody says part of me feels like uh, going to the beach and part of me feels like uh, going downtown and hanging out and feeding pigeons, that, that it's something as simple as that. Like, but that kind of uh, that kind of just ambivalence of everyday life is actually part of what we're talking about here. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, one way that it manifests a lot is in your feelings towards the loved ones in your life, you know, like a part of you can just really admire and love and respect your a parent and another part of you can be just really annoyed at how they treat you in, in a certain way, you know? So yeah. We have, we have a lot of ambivalence toward loved ones. We have love and, and also 
frustrations and that that's, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even just say common. I would say it's pervasive. Everybody has various feelings towards everyone that they love. <laughs> and and uh, this is what the apostle Paul was referring to in Romans seven, when he says, why do I do what I don't want to do? And why do I not do what I want to do? That there's these, these different aspects of him. Exactly. He, and everyone's had the experience of starting to get into a state where they, they feel and say things that they really wish that they didn't and weren't doing and not knowing how to stop those words from coming out of their mouth. You know, when I ask a group to raise their hand, if they've had this experience, not a hand, um, no one doesn't put up their hand. And then I say, now how many people have had that experience in the past week? You know, <laughs> it's most people and, and some people daily. So it's, it's a very common experience. Also, James in chapter one says the person who doubts is double-minded um, and we all have doubts and we all are of many minds about situations. And then another great example from the Bible is King David because he was a man after God's own heart and yet he sent for Bathsheba and wanted actually did kill Uriah and he was known as an angry person. Um, there's a verse in our book that references his anger and how he struck fear and people on his own team. And then he has to pray, Lord, give me an undivided heart to fear your name. So he's acknowledging that his heart is divided, but he wants to be united in his heart. And then at the end of the Psalms in Psalm 131, verse two, he says, uh, I have learned to quiet and calm my soul like a child within me. And so you see there this beautiful picture of him caring for the parts of his soul that were off course. So um, I want to ask you about a quote that I'm going to give you credit, but I'm going to use over and over again because it was so uh, packed and so short. And it's um, in uh, the very beginning of the book about why boundaries for your soul. And it was one of the pullouts in bold print. It says internal conflict is growth trying to happen. And it's this counterintuitive idea. But talk about how internal conflict is actually growth trying to happen. Yes. So when we have parts of us that are conflicted, you can think of that as uh, a discussion going on inside yourself and you're trying to figure out the best way to accomplish your goal. So your soul is always wanting to um, serve you toward the purpose that God has given you in your life. But sometimes different parts of you have different objectives for how to accomplish those goals, those God-given goals. So a manager part might think that the best way is to control your environment. And a firefighter part might think that the best way is to avoid pain. And an exile part might think that the best way is to remember the painful experiences of the past so that you don't repeat them. And all three of those parts have a valuable point. There's something of value to each of them, but it's so important to connect with all of them from your spirit-led self so that you can integrate their intentions and help them to work together harmoniously to actually accomplish what it is that God's wanting you to do. And when you use the term um, in the book, the spirit-led self, is that roughly equivalent to the idea of the true self? Yes. And this is actually where I would love to have a conversation with Henry Nowen. I know he talks about the true self versus the false self. 
And I would really want to understand Henry better on that point, because in my personal opinion, the concept of having a true self implies that the parts are not true, that they're false. And I think that that view might be offensive to a part or might hurt someone. Like I wouldn't want to be called false as I'm sure you wouldn't want to be either. I would think of the parts more as misguided or misled at times and um, you know, needing to be redirected. So I don't personally like to use the term true self as for the spirit led self. You'll, you won't see it in any of my writing, but that is, what we're talking about. <laughs> what, we, what we call the spirit-led self is what other people refer to as this true self at times. And so uh, and I'm not asking this in a way to grill you or anything, but I'm just curious because I've my organization is called Restoring the Soul and I've written about the soul. What, what uh, category do you put the idea of the inmost being? Because we see that in Psalm 139, that you knit together my inmost being. Psalm 103, praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being. Jesus, streams of living water will flow from my inmost being. And then Paul uh, in uh, Ephesians 3, being rooted and established in your inmost being. Is that the spirit-led self or the deepest, truest part of who we are? Well, as I'm listening to those verses, it strikes me that it refers to all parts of our soul, really, because your spirit-led self doesn't need to be united because it already is following the Holy Spirit's guidance. So it doesn't really need those prayers, (laughs) but, but what needs the parts of you that need those prayers are the parts. And so, which is all of your soul. So I think that inmost being, if I were to guess, I would say refers to everything that's invisible about who you are. Okay. I like that. So this brings up the idea of integration versus disintegration. Um, And I'm going to go back and read your book for a second time and probably a third time because, and I didn't say this yet, but I wanted to at the outset that um, I love how the book is, um, it it has a, a great simplicity to it, but it's profound and the concepts are very rich and deep. And oftentimes when something has simplicity to it, it doesn't have great depth or impact. It's like uh, an inch deep and a mile wide, but this feels very, very deep. So um, in that second reading, maybe I'll figure out the answer to this, but I, I, since you're the author, I, I want to get it directly from you. Um, are these, the exiles, the managers, and the firefighters, are those disintegrated parts and the goal is for them to be integrated? The disintegration refers to the, the division of the parts and the, the fact that sometimes the parts don't know each other and they don't like each other. So there's internal conflict going on. And this happens all the time, every day. And the the goal is to get in touch with the parts from the spirit-led self and build their trust so that they will let you lead and guide them and so that they'll let Jesus lead and guide them. Because they're they're trying their hardest to accomplish what they think is best, but they can be misguided. So, like, yes, I mean, this is the way that I look at my own life daily and this mindset helps me in my prayer life 
every day. So yesterday I was having my devotionals and the way I sit down to pray now is I just first just start writing out everything that I'm thinking and feeling, just inviting all those parts to the table, so to speak. And uh, I find that there's clusters and there's clusters in all three categories. And so yesterday, what it was is I had a lot of internal anger. I was really just very aware of anger toward myself. And I started connecting with this part of me that was really angry and I started listening to it. And I realized that this part of me felt like I was working too hard instead of spending time with my family. It was just really mad at me for, for not um, just being present in my own home. And so I just asked this part of me to, to step back a little bit and I got to know it better. And as it, as it sensed, as this part of me sensed that I was really listening and that I valued what it had to say. And as I invited Jesus to come and be near this part, it really relaxed. And then I was able to take its good advice and start spending more time with my family. <laughs> so, so I learned from it and that's how it can become an ally. You know, the subtitle is how to turn your overwhelming thoughts and feelings into your greatest allies, because I had a lot to learn from this part. It's just that I didn't need it to be so angry with me. And so that's why I had to work with it and ask, and, and I had to set a gentle boundary with it so that I could um, turn it into my ally. It's a big promise that you can turn overwhelming thoughts and feelings into your greatest allies. But then again, that's what Jesus spoke of in Luke 4 when he said that he came to bind up broken hearts to make us whole where we're broken and to set us free. I love how you draw upon scripture like that. And that's what he, he said to do. And one of his typically con, you know, contrarian, surprising commands to us was to love your enemies and to, to invite your uh, your enemies to come in closer, to get to know them. And, you know, David said, you've prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I imagine that Jesus would invite the enemies to come to your that table too. That Jesus would want you to invite your internal enemies to come to that table and so that he could get to know them better. Hi, this is Michael, and thanks for listening to this episode. And if you're a regular listener, I want to thank you for supporting the podcast by downloading and listening and for spreading the word. Uh, at this point, in December of 2018, we are uh, fast approaching 150,000 downloads, and we are in over 30 countries around the world. And so if this podcast has been helpful to you, both on your personal journey uh, of healing and wholeness or spiritual formation, or if it's been helpful to you as a professional, whether you're a pastor, caregiver, writer, author, or just friend of the soul, I would like to invite you to consider how you might support our tiny little podcast here financially. Um, it's that time of year when our nonprofit and so many others are looking to uh, create an opportunity for the year ahead. And so it's usually in late November and December that we do the bulk of our fundraising. And this podcast costs somewhere between $600 and $700 per month to produce and to actually get on a web page where you can listen to it or download it through one of the podcast formats. So would you take a moment and just reflect on perhaps your favorite episode or favorite moment on this podcast and how it's touched you? And is that something that you'd want to fund? Uh, 
No hard pressure sales here. Not going to compare listening to this podcast versus a venti latte or anything like National Public Radio does. But you can simply go to restoringthesoul.com, click on the word donate in the upper right-hand corner, and you can make a gift of any amount. $5 is not too little. $10 $10 is not too little. Some can write a check for 5 or 10 or $20 or $100, and others could write a check uh, or do a credit card payment for much, much more. And so thanks in advance for any gift that you are able to make, and thanks again for being a listener. It is a joy to do this work and to, to share these conversations with you. And wishing you and all of your loved ones a great year ahead in 2019. You've been listening to Restoring the Soul with Michael John Cusick, produced by Brian Beatty and supported by generous listeners like you. To learn more about our life-changing intensive counseling process for couples and individuals, visit RestoringTheSoul.com 